0: Hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. I am here with Alexander Petikov. And uh, how's it going, Alex? It's going good,
1: man. Thanks for having me on.
0: Awesome. Well, yeah, I had to have you on because uh, of the new video you've got out, man. Tell us a little bit about it.
1: Yeah. So we just released the Alaskan Coastal Sasquatch, which is part of our Bigfoot Beyond the Trail series over on the Small Town Monsters YouTube channel. And super excited about it um, the reception has been really awesome we had a lot of people pre-screening it too you were one of them you know people that were kind of involved and then we had some people doing reviews and kind of giving us some feedback and people seem to really enjoy it it's gonna be a two-parter actually so part one was just released on Thanksgiving Day and part two will be out on Christmas Day so it's about a month between but we figured you know people are at home usually. Maybe they're stuffed after a meal and they start, you know, kind of tuning in. And we just felt it was a good time to close out the year that way as well with this series, which was honestly our most epic adventure to date, going to, you know, area A, as you guys have called it before. Um, and full credit to you guys for, for coming up with that, which I think is very fitting. We kind of also nicknamed it just the cabin or the Alaska cabin. We had a lot of different sort of names for it, but it was our most epic adventure to date. And we've been all over the United States and, you know, different parts of North America and, I mean everything kind of pales in comparison to Alaska, in my opinion. So uh, it was just so fun to work on, and I'm really you know happy the way it came out, and glad to share it with people.
0: Yeah, yeah, I was really impressed with it. Uh, some of the I'm not I don't want to spoil it, but some of the footage you guys got the wildlife footage, um, it, it rivals anything on any Discovery Channel or National Geographic show. I mean, it was it was amazing.
1: Yeah, the wildlife that's out there is just, I mean, Bigfoot aside, right, that whole topic. You could just go out there just to film a wildlife documentary. We saw everything, Um, you know, whales, mountain goats, uh, bear. I mean, we got close-ups of black bear. We We saw possibly a brown bear. Scott had seen it, but we didn't really have a a, a sight on it. But Scott is apparently extremely good at spotting anything out there. So um, that was interesting. But yeah, just everything out there. And and that's something I comment on a lot in the film was just the plethora of natural resources, whether it be terrestrial or in the water. So with all the species you have on land, including just the large uh, animals, you get like the brown bears there and, and moose, of course, and lynx, mountain goats, uh, you know, we followed trails up and down that mountain behind the cabin that were mountain goat trails. I mean, it was in- just seeing some of the places they were going was, frankly, pretty amazing. Uh, and then, you know, you've got those animals in the ocean. We had seals and sea lions. We were hearing a lot. We saw river or, or sea otters, excuse me, didn't see any river otters that time. We um, saw wet owls, just so much biodiversity there. Unlike many other places in North America, we have so many different species Two species of bear, you know, in the same areas competing for the same resources. So to me, seeing all that and just the amount of food sources that exist, uh, mussels, you know, starfish wash up on the shore, the large kelp runs that come in, that the halibut, the salmon. To me, it's not really a stretch to imagine if there were a great habitat for something undiscovered like a Sasquatch to live this type of environment, you know, that coastal Kenai Peninsula to Southeast Alaska kind of area just seems absolutely ideal. And I mean, that's why we have such a long history of reports in that area from, you know, the Kenai Peninsula and northwards all the way down to the Pacific Northwest. I mean, that's all kind of part of that coastal rainforest chain with some of the richest history and native folklore about Sasquatch and settler history anywhere in the continent. So, this felt like we were right in kind of the heart of that. And just, you, obviously you know how isolated the location is. Um, it just, when you put the pieces together, it really makes you wonder, you know, this, if there's a place that it could be, this is one of the best in my view. I mean, in terms of those biological kind of check marks you need.
0: Yeah, I concur. It's uh and it's, you know, in the grand scheme of things, it's not that far away from like Port Chatham. Yeah. Uh, it's actually, you know, it wouldn't be easy, but conceivably, um, you could walk from Port Chatham to the cabin. I mean, it wouldn't it wouldn't would be, be feasible, a but, but <laughs> it, it could be done. Sure, uh, you'd have to go maybe across in the, the lifetime Harding, of a sasquatch, you know? Yeah, you'd have to go across the Harding ice fields, which I mean right. would be very difficult for us, but maybe not difficult for you know something bigger and, and a little bit more agile than us.
1: Well, it's funny the, the the one of the most common questions we get about this video is, "Oh, is this Port Chatham?" Is this, you know, like Alaskan killer Bigfoot? Obviously, you know, that comparison is kind of funny to me, um, given the, the history of that show, which, you know, pretty well, obviously. Um, but that's a common uh, misconception. We get either people assuming it is or they're asked if it's close to there. And my my usual response is it's just the same peninsula. You know, it's the same type of similar terrain, I'd say, in terms of, yeah, it's, kind of temperate it... rainforest.
0: It's very similar, uh, almost to the point where you've been to both, obviously. Yeah, you you could you could you could get pictures confused. If I can show you, can show me a picture of either one, and tell me it was the other, and I would likely agree with you. Absolutely. Uh, You know, you've got that. You know the 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 big long rocky beach. Uh, You've got the the soft you know tundra like uh, you know uh, ground, and then you've got higher elevation. You know, going back up, and that's where a lot of the activity takes place, and that's um, similar to a lot of places you hear about, like the area X place that uh, yeah. the North America. Man- you know, you've got a flat area where you know people camp, build cabins, recreate, whatever, and then you've got a a, a high uh, a hill elevation or something behind you know that goes back that usually has like more forest behind it. And yeah. a lot of that act the reported activity, comes from up high on the ridge or up, you know, behind uh, an area, and it's uh, very similar to you know area X, uh, area A, and Port Chatham. Those and those even areas.
1: even to say um, the uh, the the Olympic projects kind of so called nest site. I've been out there too, and it's extremely rugged. And I mean, the Olympics just rise. <clears throat> but where those kind of nests were discovered were. On this kind of ridge and a plateau that goes down a pretty steep embankment to a river that has salmon runs. So you have resources right there and a long history of the weird kind of activity in that area and how inaccessible it is. I think I would say that about behind area A as well. You know, we we traverse that area, I would venture to say probably more than anyone has since Scott has owned the property. Um whether it was, you know, myself, Eli and Ron, or even Rob Roy coming with us on some of the treks, but we went, we bushwhacked. It was a, I call it brutal bushwhack up the entire big mountain in the back of the cabin. It took us all day and it kicked our butts. We got to those higher elevations and there was a ton of snow up there still. This was in, you know, early to mid-May. So down at the lower elevations, snow was gone, but up higher, I mean, we were on the heels of a black bear, fresh, fresh, black bear tracks right when we got to the top of this peak. And then we get to the top of the mountain and there's this little cliff we all sit on and we're flying the drone from there. And you look and there's these other mountains that are just even taller than you are. And I'm thinking, oh, we're here at the top and it just keeps on going. So that whole area, just how rugged it is and how difficult it is to actually get around quickly. The point, which you know, you know, where the cabin lies and how that point goes out where there's been you know some activity kind of sounds from that area we thought that was just a small little jaunt out to the point you can kind of see the other bays no that took us hours to get out there because and, and, there's really no trails and we followed some primitive kind of mountain goat trails and other wildlife trails but with the moss and everything catching you up it took us a long time to, to kind of circumnavigate that whole um, point that goes out towards the left of the cabin if you're facing that glacier yeah uh, we, so, we went
0: out there um not that i think it was was it in uh September or something I think we were out there and we found the same eagle's nest you guys did
1: <laughs> yes that's right yeah that was it was funny Eli started flying his drone and all of a sudden I hear this eagle squawking and I see it fly away and, and I said oh well you just scared the resident eagle so we I mean we figured out real quickly that that was the
0: eagle's nest right. there <laughs> well when we were there there was uh the eagles and then there were some ravens and they were like I don't know if they were having a turf war or they were Oh, wow. They weren't happy with each other. They were, <laughs> they were arguing over something. I don't know, but uh, it, it was kind of cool because we got there and we hear the, you know, we hear the ravens uh, calling and then we hear the eagles screeching and then they're flying above us and they're like circling around and they, uh, we walked right in on them having uh, some kind of a disagreement. It was, it was, it was kind of cool. <laughs> That's pretty cool. Well, again, it just
1: speaks, I think, to the amount of biodiversity then to add another element, the air, the species that are coming from you know, flying down, eagles and ravens and everything else that's in the area. It's just, what an area. I mean, there's just, yeah. there's really no place like it in the world that I've been to.
0: Yeah. And and you guys found uh deer sign too. Did Scott tell you that there's not supposed to be deer out there? Yeah, that's
1: what I had heard that there was, you know, doing research, there's not supposed to be Sitka blacktail out there. But uh, Scott is claiming that he's found evidence. and We found the scat out there. And at first I was thinking, oh, I mean, it's too small to be a moose. I, I figured, you know, probably a mountain goat. And we did find mountain goat sign plenty of yeah. it, but having some of that, uh, that blacktail sign was pretty interesting because I, you know, they're not really supposed to be there.
0: Yeah. Well, he's got, I think he's got them on trail camera before too out there, but like right in front of his cabin,
1: which is awesome. I mean, just goes to show nature just finds a way whether or not they're supposed to be in an area or not. Yeah.
0: Well, they don't, you know, they don't, the fishing game, you know, they don't put up bulletins telling the deer, you know, hey, you're not supposed to be yeah, here. Right.
1: <laughs> <But> <laughs> so it just, so I mean, imagine that in an isolated spot like that. I mean, who knows where they would have come from. It means that they were traversing those bays and traversing those inlets and making their way to that spot. And I mean, why wouldn't something else, other critters do it? So why wouldn't something Sasquatch like be able to do that? Especially if you take it back to the story, which always was imprinted on me that Scott told me about the Les Stroud incident that happened somewhere in that region about knowing the boat captain who was contracted to uh, you know take less out and there's the same guy who helped scott with his lumber i mean i actually looked it up and scott had pictures of this captain i don't remember the name of the boat and then i went and rewatched the um this was earlier when i first started talking to scott i went and re-watched the episode of survivor man where they're dropping him off and i saw the same exact boat same name same style and I'm like, okay, that is absolutely the same captain as the Les Stroud guy. And that was, you know, a while before, and that was like in the mid-2000s, I think, uh, well before Scott had really purchased the property or anything.
0: Yeah. Yeah, he uh, <clears throat> he's he's talked about maybe trying to track down the people that owned it before him and, and asking them maybe why they never really did anything with it and if i remember correctly he actually got it a really good deal on it like he got it probably cheaper than he should have been able to get it and it's always made me wonder like was it just you know like a like a poltergeist kind of situation or something where they just "Just take it just get it off my hands you know because
1: i I know the story he told about the guys who were there before some guys from georgia or something and they camped and they were complaining about stuff walking around their camp yeah we kind of found or at least Robert showed us where he thought their tent sites were kind of up near that upper fire pit. Um, And we camped even further up than that, but when we camped out there, but we found those sort of areas and the story went that they just didn't want it because they were kind of freaked out. And Scott was inquiring why they were freaked out. And basically he said, oh, it's like Sasquatch type activity. And it's, you know, for somebody to say so bluntly, yeah, uh, I found that pretty interesting, and does it doesn't really surprise me. I suppose not, but that was one of the initial stories that Scott had told me about. Sort of
0: yeah. once they had well, those
1: in- incidents with the rocks being thrown.
0: You you've got the abandoned cabin up there too that you guys went and took yes. a look at. I mean, and granted, you know, sometimes just life gets in the way. Things happen, Right. and then you know, oh well, we'll get back out there someday. You know, and then yeah. just things that happen you never do. But at the same time, like that's that's a that's a nice you know sell it or, you know, why, why is it just sitting there abandoned? You know, I know it was,
1: and it was boarded up and everything. And it just looked like it was kind of not, not really a time capsule. I wouldn't say I'm 50, hundred years old, but it looked like somebody hadn't been there in maybe 10, 15 years. Um, and that's kind of what we gathered from it. You know, there was an area where it almost looks like there was a staircase that was no longer there, uh, Mm. in the back, some food storage or something like that. And there was stuff that, uh, where it's kind of par- parts of it that have been thrown in, probably by the snow drift and the and when the river rises had taken it apart a little bit, so it wasn't in terrible shape, but it wasn't exactly you know somebody was just there last week, clearly yeah. no it had been there in a long time
0: well when when Scott told me it was an abandoned cabin, I'm picturing in my mind, I'm picturing like it's just a shell, you something know decrepit, the windows are yeah. yeah, the windows are broken out, the doors are gone, there's nothing like maybe the the cabins on Port Chatham or something. And then we went out there and looked at it and I'm like, man, it looks like there could be somebody in there. It looks like they're just, it's just waiting for somebody to show up and open it up for the season. You know, it was um, in a lot better shape than I pictured in my head. Same
1: here. And we flew the drone over it and I saw the roof was sort of like a greenish color. And I was like, oh, okay, there, there it is. So we kind of knew where to look for it. But supposedly there's another cabin that was discovered by some of the guys initially that went out there back in the first season whether it was the NAWAC guys or I think it was them. And there was another cabin. It was kind of directly across the bay. We, we looked for that, but there was still a lot of snow up there. So we didn't get in as far as we would have liked. Yeah. Um, but Scott had also mentioned there were some other older cabins just kind of along the shore on the other side. And there was some sort of a camp or something in there. So there was an evidence of people living in that area, whether, you know, or not it was that settlement from a hundred plus years ago, Uh, or just more recent stuff. I know Rob Roy talked about there being some kind of a boat festival that would happen kind of in that, in that area.
0: Yeah. From what I understand, people um, will sail out there and they kind of raft the boats together, like they'll tie them together and then they have, they play music. Yeah. And from from what I gather, that's not really, I mean, I'm sure probably some people do go ashore maybe to walk around and stuff, but I don't think it's really, it's not focused on land. It all takes place like on the water. Right. Um, I think those cabins, the the old, old ones are probably left over from when the area was logged about a hundred years ago. Yeah. But, uh, so that's it's interesting. I mean, yeah.
1: and then the other, the only other people really that would be in that area, I guess would be, uh, Scott was mentioning that, you know, that boat captain who would, with the Les Stroud story would, was known to take out kayakers occasionally and, and they would camp and stand on the shores and that sort of thing. So I can only imagine how many people might have, interesting stories or maybe they didn't experience anything i mean you've been out there you know where there hasn't been anything going on we had days where there wasn't anything going on so it's just kind of a and as scott and Rob will say you know the first two seasons were the most active and then it kind of slowed down and then it picked up again so it just sort of depends what, for whatever rhyme or reason i mean again you have so much territory out there what these things could easily just move five bays over you know, and you never have any idea that there's anything going on if they are indeed in the area. So that, I found that's, that pretty
0: interesting. That's what people people are always telling me, like, Oh man, you live in Alaska, it must be great, you know, it must be great to go squatching up there. And I'm like <laughs> Well, it, it is and it is. It's it's good and it, it's kind of, it has its pros and its cons. Its right. pros is there are tons and tons of good habitat up here. Sure. And the cons are there are tons and tons of good habitat <laughs> up here. And if they don't want to be around you, they don't have to be, they'll just go over there yep. for a little while.
1: Yeah, that's definitely the impression that I got from that area, especially when we got to those higher elevations and you could actually see across the bay and just see that there are dozens of inlets, just like the one that the cabin is at, with just as viable habitat, similar terrain. You know, It makes you wonder how many of these could you explore? You could spend a whole lifetime just in that one little area, let alone some of the <clears throat> other areas. We, we went up to that glacier, too. We tried to kind of hike along the river to go towards the glacier, and uh, that's when we started seeing the bears up on the hill. I mean, we were seeing five black bear in a row just feeding. You know, there's obviously, this is springtime, they were coming out. Um, so just the amount of space out there, staggering. And, and if you look at the Kenai Peninsula, it's really a small part of Alaska. It's just a little kind of, it's a huge place, don't get me wrong, but comparing it to the rest of the coastline of Alaska and then even interior areas. I mean, we went to Hazard Pass, you know, we were kind of in the Talquinas, as we went to Denali, obviously it's totally different habitat. I'd say something like the Kenai Peninsula and that sort of Southeast Alaska um, Prince of Wales Island, that area seems more conducive would probably be a nicer place to live. You have more food at your uh, fingertips And the weather seems to be a little bit more milder than maybe some brutal places like around Denali national park. I mean, an existence up there would probably be miserable. Um, I found it interesting kind of the difference between the black, the brown bears and the grizzly bears, how the brown bears are more coastal. So they have more access to that seafood diet. Whereas the grizzly bears are a little bit more scrappy. They got to fight for their food a little more. I thought that was an interesting analogy. If there's something, you know, Sasquatch like, would that also be the case? I mean, would it, Imagine living in an area like near the cabin. You could just sit there and you have everything, I mean, you could possibly want in terms of resources instead of having to traverse long distances and, you know, kill food or, or whatever, you know, however you're getting food. So I, I found that kind of dichotomy pretty interesting.
0: Yeah. Well, it's it, and it's possible too. I mean, like you said, they might spend a, a summer in, in this bay. And then spend the summer in this bay and then spend the summer, you know, and they could just leapfrog like that around for, right. and that might explain why maybe it's not as <clears throat> active some years as others. Um, you know, who knows what kind of cycle they're on. Um, I wish we knew. <laughs> yeah. If it, Well, if it was predictable and repeatable, we wouldn't be sitting here talking about it. it sure. Would be, be <laughs> Somebody else, with. Yeah. some
1: primatologist would be doing this on a, you know, some science podcast or something. <laughs> Yeah, but that's okay. We have fun. I always like to say, you know, kind of, we're the guys in at the at the, you know, we're having fun with the bigfooting now. If it does get proven, if there's other scientists getting in, you know, they're trying to push us to the side. Can always remind them, well, we were the ones that were looked at as crazy before, and we were enjoying this topic, and you know, hearing your first wood knock and your kind of first thing that happens, whoop! It's like super exciting, and like you guys will get there too.
0: Yeah, <laughs> I was thinking about that earlier today because I was thinking about I was just telling you about my trip to Washington, and where. I told you we didn't have much going on. And I think the last night we had like two knocks or something going on. Yep. And, you know, five or six years ago, I would have been, oh, I would have been, you know, knocks. We had knocks. There were two knocks and they were our hour apart and they were over here, over here. <laughs> and now I'm just like, that's all we have was a couple of knocks. Yeah,
1: knocks, nothing. Yeah, you got a yeah. rock throw or two. Okay, cool. You know, that well, I was in Kentucky recently and I was out in an area that has had some history of activity, you know, 10 plus class A sightings in the past few decades. Monster Quest film there, they got a rock thrown at them. It was an interesting area. And, you know, I got some kind of weird footage on a thermal camera, very inconclusive. But first night I was out there, I heard the, the one of the weirdest things I've heard out there was it sounded like a guy doing barking noises up, up from this hill. It was just sort of like, Arr! Arr! that's, I mean, and I was hearing coyotes all night long. And it was right when I kind of pulled in and I was sitting there for a while with my window down, it was like 25 degrees that kind of excited me because, you know, and I heard a wood knock the second night there, but you know, that sort of just kind of clued me in on, well, maybe there's something going on here. Um, but the, the dog barking was a little weird. It was it literally the first thing that came to mind was a person doing dog barking impressions from across. And I really, I, you know, I'm still going through the audio, make sure I got it, but it was just really weird. Uh, kind of sent like some goosebumps on my, on my back. And that, as you mentioned, you get a knock or a rock throw or something at this point, it's just kind of you sort of expect it in some areas. So he had something weird like that. And I'm not saying that Sasquatch could just be coyotes make some really weird noises, but um, having heard so many coyotes and other dogs, especially in that area, the first thing my mind went to was human doing a dog impression, dog bark. It was very loud and very deep. It was just, it was odd. So uh, maybe highly, highly inconclusive, but kind of intriguing, caught my attention.
0: Yeah, I wish I had been a little bit more tuned into the uh, the hot spots in Kentucky when I grew up there. Um, you know, I I always joke around and say if I'd have known if I'd have had the internet back then and could have like looked up these these right. areas and these sightings locations, I would have been chasing monsters instead of girls when I was a teenager. But <laughs> it uh, you know, it just it just didn't work out that way. I, I didn't really I don't think I grew up like an hour away from the Hopkinsville. Goblin place, thing, yeah, and uh, I don't even think I knew about it until I was. I might not even heard about it until I moved away from there.
1: Yeah, it's. I mean, there's some good spots there. I was kind of surprised. I had not spent a whole lot of time in Kentucky. I've, you know, been through West Virginia and Tennessee, and the, obviously the the Appalachians and the Smokies. Great. I mean, that's very similar to where I live in New Hampshire, where we have the White Mountains, which is you know part of the whole Appalachian chain. So anywhere you go along the Appalachians, you know, there's differences, but they're more similar than they are. You know uh, different so that was kind of cool but Kentucky sort of you know you, you don't expect it but there was some great habitat I mean the area I was in was like a wildlife refuge and just the amount of history and the guy was with Jeff Waldridge who's a researcher down there he's in law enforcement as well he you know, talked about just these sightings that he's taking you know he had one story of uh, like a juvenile Sasquatch being cornered by dogs in a power line cut and it was hissing and you know the the owner of the dogs called the dogs off, and this thing went straight up a hill. This was all in this area, and apparently Monster Quest filmed there in like 2008. And they had a bioacoustics guy out there get a rock thrown at him. And when I looked at where that was in the location, it's literally like 100 feet down from where I was standing on that riverbank alone at night, <laughs> which was not you know the funnest experience. It's never fun going out alone. But yeah, there's some great spots in Kentucky. Doesn't compare to Alaska, in my opinion, but. Um, it's still, there's some pretty cool spots out there.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Alaska is definitely, um, I mean, there's, it's, it's endless almost, you know, the, the places you can go. Um, there's a, there's a couple of places I'll, I'll talk to you about them uh, off air, but there's a couple of places I really want to go check out. Like, bad like i hear like a lot of stories coming out of there i'm oh, like cool. i got but the thing is and people are like well you're in alaska you can just go but they don't understand it's like <laughs> uh, you know 10 11 hour drive for me yeah you know to get to a lot of places and uh, especially you know i'm on the kind uh, of the southern tip of alaska so yeah to get anywhere it's a it's a long drive if i want to well, go to walmart I, mean, I gotta drive an hour and a half
1: <laughs> oh it's it's crazy i mean even when we were going we drove you know after we were at the cabin we were going up towards nally national park we spent a few days with Rob Roy up in Hatcher Pass, you know, kind of north of Wasilla, Willow Creek area, stomping around there. Rob Roy's got some great stories. I mean, he's been working that area for a while, took us out to old abandoned trapper's cabin. This was all in our first video we did, the Alaska, which came out, I think, in last June or July. It's kind of our precursor. But, um, yeah, know, that was more of just kind of exploration. But we drove the entire Denali Highway um, in like that in a span of a day. We got to... Healy, Alaska at maybe five, six in the morning. Uh, We just were driving all day. It's incredible how, how vast Alaska is. And then you look at the area you went and compare it to the whole of Alaska. It's nothing. And you were like, you did a small little blip compared to what there actually is, which is pretty mind blowing. So Alaska really isn't a class of its own. And I, I just don't think there's anywhere like it really in the world. I mean, maybe parts of parts of Canada and then parts of Siberia, I guess. Um, but even that, I think Siberia has probably had more, you know, p- people living there in certain areas of it for longer than parts of North America. So, yeah, um,
0: I think the the Kamchatka Peninsula is pretty, pretty wild.
1: Yeah, that that I've looked at yeah. maps. Very comparable, but I mean, you do get obviously those reports, the Almas and the Almasti and that kind of stuff. But yeah, Alaska is just in a class of its own, and um, and I could see why people love it so much, and and you know why yourself and others and like Scott have, have chosen to live there. I don't know if I could do the daylight thing, but um, definitely has a very special place in my
0: heart. Yeah. The daylight, it only messed with me once. Um, you know, I got here in the summertime and uh, that, you know, I was in the military and they told me like, Oh, you got to be downstairs, you know, be downstairs for, for formation at like 6am or something. And I'm like, Oh, okay, no problem. Went to bed, woke up, looked at my clock. I had like an analog clock. This is back, you know, in the late nineties. And uh it said like one one o'clock and I was like, oh my god, I overslept because I look outside and it's like daylight, like broad yep. daylight. And I'm like, oh my God, I overslept. And I'm like, why didn't somebody come looking for me? Cause usually, you know, yeah, and I right. start and I start getting up and I kind of start like, I gotta I gotta get ready. I gotta get ready. And I look outside and I notice there's like there's no people walking around, like, you know, because normally during the day military posts are pretty active, and I'm like, there's yeah. no cars driving around, there's no people driving around, and I'm like, is it one o'clock in the morning? And I found a <laughs> my digital watch or whatever I had, and it said 1 a.m. And I was like, that is crazy. And yeah. it never really messed with me after that. I, I it, you know, the day, the darkness thing, I mean, I worked graveyard shift for a long time when I started my law enforcement career. And, you know, I'd get home at dark and wake up and it would be dark. And you just you just didn't see the sun for, you know, a long time sometimes. Oh, I can imagine
1: it was so weird when we were in Alaska. We were there for almost two and a half weeks, almost three weeks total. And this was in May of this past year. and we when we got there it was like May fifth or sixth. and immediately, you know the following day we went to we went out to the cabin and we spent pretty much eight days out there. So we saw the full transformation of Alaska from you know winter to basically summer. you know there's not there's not a lot of uh, transition time, but we also saw the daylight thing go. The first few nights of the cabin we saw, I think only the first night we saw, really darkness with stars. I mean, it never got fully dark, but we saw a star cover. And by the end of our time at the cabin, you know, seven days later, it was already to the point where, you know, it never really got dark at night. It was just sort of that dusk for a few hours and then it would come up. And then, you know, fast forward a week later, we're up in Healy up by Denali national park and it's midnight and, you know, we're watching the sun just barely, hovering over the mountains, just go back behind a little bit and then come back out a few hours later. It was so surreal seeing that. And then you know, when we first got to Anchorage, it was super gray and snowy everywhere. And by the time we left, it had fully gone green and weather was in the 60s and even the low 70s. So it was so weird to see that kind of transition in that basically two and a half week period yeah. from you know winter to summer in Alaska. And it was it was fascinating. But just seeing the, the, the variety of terrain we got to see, whether it be obviously around the cabin in Kenai Peninsula area to that interior Alaska was, was pretty neat. And um, I'm, you know, excited to get back there at some point.
0: A lot of people don't realize that we have all the seasons. Maybe they're a little shorter, but we have them all. You know, I, I, I've talked to people all that, especially I'll go back home to Kentucky and, you know, people, let me ask you something, is it cold up there all the time? And, <laughs> it's a winter forever. Yeah. Uh, no, it, you know, it's, it's, it's uh, and you know, honestly, down here on the Kenai Peninsula I'll look at the weather and a lot of times it'll be colder in Kentucky than it is here. Yeah. Um, you said it was 25 and it in got Kentucky. so cold at night.
1: I mean it was yeah. like in the low it, 20s it, at night, yeah.
0: It's, it, it you know, last couple of days it's been 32, 33 at night. So yeah. it's <laughs> technically it's warmer here in Alaska than it has been in Kentucky. So people people just don't, uh, they, don't they don't understand. <laughs> right, right. <clears throat> so uh, what are, what are your, uh, future plans for Alaska?
1: So we've got a lot coming up. Um, obviously having just put out part one of the Alaskan coastal Sasquatch, like I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, part two is going to be coming out on Christmas and you got to understand I, I, you know, I was initially, I was going to be one film. Um, and then we filmed a terabyte of footage out of the cabin. I mean, we were there eight days. I mean, the eighth day we left, but, you know, seven full days, essentially. And Scott had said that was the longest period anyone had ever been at the cabin in one continuous sort of stay. You know, though, you guys have gone out there for days before and Scott will go out for a weekend trip or you know, four or five days, but never for that long. So uh, we had so much footage and I kind of thought, well, you know, I'm doing this in a sort of format where first I have to introduce the place. And then I have to go into, I, I wanted to kind of split it up by days because that just made the most sense because of the first few days, our approach was just take it easy. And, yeah. you know, Scott was kind of suggesting that as well, just do do normal stuff. Cause when we were doing normal stuff is when we had a lot of these things happen. So that was our approach. And then we started getting more aggressive, I want to say. And when we really had some of that stuff happen, that was sort of the cliffhanger. And I'll, I'll just say that at the end of part one, was after we had essentially circumnavigated that whole point and up on the mountain, it was that, that was when we had some kind of unusual activity that evening. Um, so I, I chose to kind of end it there. So the first four ish days are documented on this first part, along with the sort of introduction and some long interviews with Rob Roy and, and Scott and others that have kind of been involved in some of the stuff over the years there. So part 2 we'll pick up where that left off. And then, you know, we have some obviously interesting kind of evidence sort of, collection and that sort of thing obviously you're 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 involved in that as well so people should be looking forward to that too um and just some of the other things i've been reaching out to folks to try and get some answers about some of the audio and some of the other things but that's that's it for kind of the alaskan coastal sasquatch but we are definitely going back to the cabin um this coming summer and uh you know i'm excited to announce i think this is the first time i've publicly said it but we are going to be speaking at the boreal bigfoot expo in Fairbanks, Alaska, and that is, I think, the second weekend in June. Um,
0: that is June 10th and
1: 11th. 10th and 11th, yep. we were super excited to be invited by Heidi and the organizers. Myself and Eli Watson will be there, kind of representing the Small Town Monsters crew, and we'll be showing, I assume, part one of the Alaskan Coastal Sasquatch, as well as Seth's upcoming film, which is the the On the Trail of Bigfoot, The Last Frontier which is kind of more of a wider look at the Bigfoot topic in Alaska. It does actually touch a little bit upon the happenings at the cabin, but um, just for a little bit. So they kind of coexist with each other. And we like to do this with some of our productions where, you know, Seth will have one film and then we'll have one because our style, the way I do things is a little more, it's the more boots on the ground kind of investigative. So if you enjoy that sort of stuff, that's more of what we do. Whereas Seth's films are typically a broader look at the topic and it'll be very interview heavy. I mean, they interviewed, Tons of Alaska Natives, you know, First Nations people, people who've grown up in Alaska, hunted and fished and all that kind of stuff. So it's a very broad look at the whole state. Uh, So we're super excited to show those films. And we will be talking as well about um, kind of our Bigfoot Beyond the Trail adventures and some of the cool places we get to go to. So we're really excited about that. And we definitely will be returning to the cabin. You know, we're already up in Alaska. Why not go back? And we want to try out some new stuff, um, get you out there as well with us. And other folks, too, just to kind of keep pushing the envelope. And, you know, with the fact that we stayed out there longer, and I've talked to Scott about this extensively, we feel that maybe, you know, uh, we were out there long enough that it kind of provoked something or provoked some sort of activity. I mean, you've been out there, you've experienced some of the activity. Some of it's subtle, some of it's pretty obvious. So we're, we're thinking maybe two weeks, just upping the chances. I mean, you've got all these other research groups that focus on areas for years and they, they get a lot of results. So, um, I think that's that maybe what's needed at uh, an area like area A. I don't know, but we certainly, you know, any excuse to get out to a place like that, totally fine by me. So we're all, <laughs> we'll already be up there. So you won't have to drag me out there. That's for sure. I will be the first in line.
0: Do you do you know uh, in in the upcoming part two, do you know if, and uh, I think you'll know what I'm talking about. If, if Is the cooler story going to be in there?
1: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, so what I had to do is funny. Uh, I'm I'm actually kind of glad you mentioned that because um, that's something I, uh, you know, was kind of choosing to do because when I was introducing the story of the cabin, I mean, Scott has been at, out there for a while, you know, uh, multiple seasons, Rob Roy yourself, others have been out there. So you hear the stories, they kind of accumulate, you know, whereas you might go there for a weekend trip and not have anything happen. Say, oh, it's a bummer. You know, they have stuff happen here all the time. You got to realize those guys have been going out there for years. So they've accumulated these incidents. So you know, they can tell you 10 incidents that have happened that may have taken an entire season, but they're able to tell you the whole 10 just in kind of a few minute story. So, um, you know, just having all those guys out there and just kind of telling those stories I thought was interesting. But there were so many stories I had to cut back on what I could share in that first episode. The first episode clocked in at an hour, 34 minutes. It originally was an hour, 48 But then I I dialed back on some of those stories because I said, well, you know what, maybe I'll put these in episode two, just as a kind of a segment on, well, here's other stories that have happened at the cabin. Not to make the the second episode just also be boots in the ground, but also have a little bit of that kind of recollection. I mean, there's other stuff that Rob Roy talked about. The Cooler Story is one of the most startling ones. Um, Yeah, the Baby Crying one was probably one of my personal favorites, the, the weird... I kind of drew the Kushtaka connection there and thinking, well, you know, that's probably a Sasquatch being seen swimming and maybe that has something to do with it. I don't know. People really were kind of <laughs> a lot of speculation about that because it's just so odd. Um, so I felt like it was good to include that in part one, but part two definitely will include the cooler story and people that know what that is. You know, you, 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 know what we're talking about, but you will, you will understand it's, it's yeah. one of the weirder ones for sure. I don't want to
0: spoil it for anybody, but it's, it's holy cow. It's, um, uh... It's something, I mean, it's it sent it's, a
1: bunch of grown men into a, into yeah. a panic. So, um, you know, guys who are out in Alaska who are very hardcore, even for, you know, lower 48 standards for sure. So, uh, just, yeah, that's going to be part of it. And then the rest of it's going to be, like I said, investigative, cause you know, we have to finish up those, those last few days and we had some mishaps and things that happened to us along the way, um, that just kind of show the, the, the ruggedness of Alaska and how you really can't mess around out there. Um, and, and then kind of concluding on some of the, uh, opinions of folks that have been privy to some of the kind of things that have been recorded at the cabin and, and captured. So, um, you know, we just hope to kind of shed light on it. And I think it's, it's an interesting story either way, but as I mentioned, we're leaving it open-ended. So we will return there just because I think the site is even, if, even if you're not doing a film, I think it's just like you guys, you and Rob in particular have been doing a lot of research out there. <coughs> you know, for, for a number of years now. So I think it's yeah. important to kind of keep that going because this location, for whatever reason, it just seems to produce very interesting things.
0: Yeah, well, I've I've, I've mentioned to Scott a couple of times, you know, how when you kind of come out of the, the bedrooms in the cabin there and you've got that view and where you yeah. can kind of look off to your right and look down the beach. And I've told Scott, I was like, what's going to happen is you're going to be out here one of these days, just totally not thinking about anything at all bigfoot related and you're going to look out that window and there's going to be one standing on the beach down there <laughs> well it's
1: like the guy in the outhouse i doubt he was uh thinking about you know having something happen where you said he was feeling watched and then tripped and had this thing with eyes red eyes and you know this kind of stuff happens you least expect it you know in in, the, in that first episode and people can hear it at the end some of the noises we heard literally we're sitting around the campfire and rob roy is just telling jokes as rob roy does because that's just what that's just what Rob Roy's is like. One of the funniest people I've ever met in my life, I should add. Um, but we're just kind of shooting the crap and all of a sudden these noises start. And I'm like, oh, whoa, whoa. And then we start hearing the sequence of events and, you know, all of it. It's so funny because people say, oh, you know, you Bigfooters, you think you'd be more prepared, but you get caught with your pants down in these instances. I mean, we're all sitting there with thermals and cameras and recorders. No one's got a camera on. We have an audio recorder on, thankfully thermals are all off and, and things start happening and we're kind of panicking. Like we want to make sure nobody falls off the cliff in excitement because you've got like a hundred foot drop behind you. And, um, you know, we just are scrambling to get ourselves together and, you know, start laughing hysterically for whatever reason, just because it's just the kind of adrenaline kicks in. And then, you know, we finally get ourselves together and we start using the equipment that you know, we're there to use to research. But in the moment when stuff happens, you just get caught so off guard. And I feel like that happens so many times. Um, not just the cabin, just with this topic in general, which I think is pretty funny, but you really can't be prepared. You just sort of have to have it happen and, and hope your reaction is good in the moment.
0: Yeah. Well, it's the curse of big fun. I mean, it's happened to all of us at one point or yeah. another. I, oh yeah. I, I, I like to say, you know, if I had hit record, you know, 30 seconds sooner in Port Chatham, I would have probably had the best thermal footage you've ever seen in your life. And, you know, it just, it just it, it it happens and i used to be pretty critical when i hear stuff like that like oh it ran out in front of us and i had a camera but i didn't take a picture and i'm like yeah, yeah right and now i'm like no i totally get it i understand uh, yeah
1: even i mean rob Wright, and he shared that and, and i include that in part of the interview in the first uh episode with his first inca- first kind of experience of the cabin with hearing those knocks and the second one really is the one that set the fear in on him and he realized and he runs up to the cabin, him and scott are kind of freaking out over it. And they're both, you know, holding either a camera or thermal, no one even thought of using it. And I've, I've heard so many, i stories, you know, of, Oh, we had a, we had a camera on us, but we we're already halfway back down the mountain. We realized we had it after we saw this thing or, you know, um, I mean, I've tried to take video of animals that have run out in front of my car, wolves and stuff like that. And by the time you're ready to go, it's just too late, especially if you're caught off guard you just first, got to process what you're seeing and then it's, Oh, okay, let me try to get a video. Yeah. And, um, With something like this, I don't think you truly can be prepared. With something like this, as much as you think you might be able to, unless you've seen one of these things, I don't know. But it's it's not easy. I don't. I don't think. I
0: I was driving through Canada. This was a few years ago, and uh, saw something black. It wasn't a Sasquatch, but I saw. I knew it was an animal. Like there's something over there on the side of the road, and uh, slowed down. This beautiful black wolf is standing in the tree line, just looking at me, and I'm I. Pull up right across from him. I mean, we're probably, you know, 30, 40 yards away from each other. And uh I roll my I roll my window down, my pasture side window. I'm looking at him. I mean, we sat we stood, we stared at each other for 15, 20 seconds, you know. Just I guess he's probably trying to figure out what I'm about. And <laughs> right. I'm like, oh, look at the beautiful wolf. And finally I'm like, I should probably try and get a picture. And as soon I reached down in the center console, pulled my phone up. As soon as I pulled my phone up. He turned and, yeah, and was gone. Dirty... I got I got a picture of his back end <laughs> of his ass as he was running away. Yep. But, um, yeah, I mean, it, it, it happens. It's just the way it goes.
1: I've had, you know, gigantic moose up here in New Hampshire run out in front of the car, you know, with absolutely insane antlers. And, you know, we're, oh, whoa, whoa, look at him. Everyone's scrambling to get their phones and cameras. By the time we're ready, he's already in the tree line. No one can even see him anymore. And this is, you know, a thousand pound animal right in front of you with something that's five, six feet wide crashing through the trees yeah. and no glimpse of it. So it's incredible. So imagine something that's trying to stay stealthy or, you know, like a lot of the sightings you hear where it's just that fleeting glimpse where somebody was just so confused that they, you know, especially if they're not aware of the topic, they're seeing a monster, they're seeing something that's not supposed to exist or they're it's traumatic. The last thing they're thinking of is, to film it i mean just even recently when i was in kentucky as i mentioned i was out alone at night and you know if i had heard i heard a wood knock, but if i had heard anything growling or coming at me i think i would have been hightailing it back to my car well before i would have thought about let's stay here and film this and then people will roast you about it later online say well you know you should go go try it yourself then because i'll tell you in the moment it is definitely not not fun because you don't know what you're dealing with if you especially if you can't see it
0: yeah well i was dealing uh... with
1: a bear or something
0: you don't know I was on a podcast, uh, and we were it was just like this the video, you know, we were doing a video and we were talking, I think it was, um, um, it was the Sasquatch experience with Sean Forkman, those guys. Oh,
1: nice. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Love those guys. <laughs>
1: They're great. And,
0: uh, we're, you know, I'm, I'm on their podcast and I'm sitting there talking to him just like I am you and a moose runs through my backyard. And I'm like, oh look guys and I tried I mean my camera's running just like it is now right. and I tried to pick my laptop up and turn it toward the window and, and missed it no. you know and my camera was on sure. you know
1: <laughs> If that was a bigfoot, you know it might as well have been a bigfoot, right yeah, you wouldn't have been able to show him either way. so yeah, it's it's just funny, you know kind of how people think overthink what their reaction are and, and you can prepare for something, but until it happens, I don't think you can truly you know, know what you're going to react, especially when it's something like Sasquatch. I mean, you can train for other things, right? Um, you know, certain types of incidents that might take place day-to-day life, but something like a Sasquatch, I don't yeah. know, how do you really prepare for something like that? Well, you
0: can just do, I mean, just be as prepared as you can. I, I'm a big yeah. proponent of muscle memory. Definitely. Um, keep, your, keep your camera and your gun in the same place every time.
1: Know your equipment. Yeah. That
0: way, when you reach for it, it's going to be there. Yep. And, you know, because you get to. Where's my, where, you know, where's my phone? Where's my yeah, camera? Right. Oh, and, no, yeah. You know, i put it in the other pocket. It's supposed to be in this pocket, but yeah, you got to be consistent.
1: Same, same loadout, same, you know, yeah. type of, uh, I mean, I, I'm always wearing the same pants in the field if it's warm enough. Uh, well, the, you know, if it's not, if it's like super cold, then I'll uh, layer up, but you know, kind of cargo pants. I, I always know where my phone's going to be. I always know where I got my audio recorder or whatever hanging. Just that sort of thing. Like you said, muscle memory and just having the same kind of consistent gear and loadout. So you can hopefully, well, okay, I got the thermal ready to go or, or know the ins and outs of your thermal. I mean, when I first started using the Helion, actually it was at the cabin, you know, Scott uh, let us use his and I, I didn't know anything about it. And You know, I was out there, we had the the monocular and the binocular and, and Ron Reed, the guy who was out there with us, our buddy, great researcher, he had a, one of the smaller pulsars. So he's like, oh, I see something. And Rob Roy would come up with the Helion and I would come up with the binoculars. I'm like... I do not know how to work these because I'm I've I've had experience using FLIR Scouts and like AGN stuff um and, and the, the other thermal. So now you know six plus months later I know how to use the pulsars to a T, which is really nice. So learning the ins and outs of your equipment, because I've made plenty of mistakes. Definitely learn your learn from your mistakes and learn your equipment so that if you do get in a situation where you might be able to get something, you can at least walk out with something more than a vivid story, hopefully, even though. Times you know that's also wishful thinking, but you know, the story—if it's more vivid than the evidence—that's yeah. that seems to be the case a lot of times. But
0: well, I've I've been out in the field with somebody that brought a shiny new piece of equipment out, and they're like, "Oh, this is going to blow your mind. Check this out!" And they get it out, and then there's like, "Oh, we, you're supposed—I to I need an internet connection to set it up. Never mind." <laughs> yeah,
1: definitely. Mess. Open open the box when you get it. Play with it before you take it out because that's you don't want to be that guy. I've had that happen with drones before, and. Oh, you need a firmware update. Can't fly. Well, an hour from the nearest uh, Wi-Fi connection. So, forget that. I guess we're not flying the drone.
0: Yeah. Well, uh, congratulations on the video, man. It looks like it's doing great. I checked the views a while ago, and it's uh, it's up there.
1: Yeah, it's it's our biggest release so far for Beyond, Bigfoot Beyond the Trail, and um, I think just anything with Alaska has a natural draw for people. Because even people that I've talked to that are not really into the Bigfoot topic um, will say, Oh, Alaska. Yeah. Sasquatch would definitely be there, you know, as if it wouldn't be in places of Northern California or the Rocky mountains. But, you know, for practical purposes, people have, it seems like people have more of an easier time thinking something like Alaska, thinking like something like Sasquatch could exist. It would be a place like Alaska. So I've seen a lot of appeal from people, not even necessarily in the Bigfoot community, but um, people seem to love it. We hyped it up kind of, I think just, just the scenery and everything, as you mentioned, that we were able to capture out there. I and mean, then, you know, having been there firsthand, uh, you know, it, it, cameras don't do it justice. Uh, of course, seeing it with your own eyes is incredible, but we really tried to capture it in all our glory. It felt to me really important to not only tell the story of what was going on to Scott and Rob, Brian, everyone who's been out there and, and as accurately as I can, but just capture that feeling of intrigue you get when you're out there because you just see the mountains, you see, the orcas, the, the, all these creatures out there. And you wonder, man, this is just absolutely incredible. So I really tried to, that's, that's what we try to do with a lot of our films, but especially with this one, I I made sure this was our kind of biggest and and most intensive sort of look in an area that we've done. And um, I can't wait to share part two with people. I'm still working on that. Um, So that'll be a lot of fun and definitely answer some questions from part one. And um, I think people are going to enjoy it just as much as the first one.
0: Yeah. I can't wait for part two because that's the, the part that I'm going to be involved in. We're going to, yep. we're going to, we're going to uh, we don't want to spoil anything, but uh, there there was some evidence uh, that was. Um,
1: Very interesting stuff. Yeah, yeah You guys will see.
0: I, I was brought in to, uh, to process it, like kind of like a crime scene.
1: Exactly. Yeah. I mean, we, we were above our heads with that. So we're like, okay, we'll, we'll just let Beans come back another time and, and do, the, do the professional stuff on this because we did not want to mess that thing up. Um, but you know, people understand when that comes out, but uh, yeah, just it's gonna answer some questions and uh, be pretty in depth as well. And, and as I mentioned, because it's, it's we kind of split it up between the days, it'll be sort of a continuation, and uh, it's, you know, very, it's just such an interesting area. I don't see how, um, you know, how, how portraying it in this sort of way. Uh, even just if we had no activity happen and we had just encountered all this wildlife, it would still be incredible. But, you know, when you add that sort of mystery element to it, I think it's to me one of the most amazing places I've ever been. And, you know, I can only, um, you know, hope that I'll be back there again as, as we are planning. So yeah, it's area A is, is truly out of this world and I'm just happy to share that story with people and that Scott has allowed us to uh, kind of share that story as well in such a spectacular way. Um, and uh, yeah, it's just, it's been a blessing. And, and I, I do got to say, you know, it, it was almost it was kind of funny. It was like a full circle thing. Scott had originally reached out to me in May of 2021. I had just gotten back from the Olympic Peninsula filming with the Olympic Project and met David Ellis and all those guys. And Scott contacted me, he had, I guess, listened to my podcast. And he's originally you know, from the New England area as well. And, and I am, too. So we kind of relate on that level. So uh, we'd been talking for almost a year until we finally made it out in May of 2022. So it was very full circle. So he's a great guy. I've become awesome friends with him. And he's, uh, he's you know, one of those fantastic people. And, and to me, credible. That's, you know, when I first started looking at that case, um, as I do, I get contacted a lot with this sort of stuff, as I'm, I'm sure you have. You know, hear the stories of people saying, oh, I got this stuff going on and sometimes it kind of falls through, but immediately this one just felt differently. And, uh, you know, he was like, well, you got to talk to this person. Oh, here, you can talk to this guy. He had stuff happen. He was like throwing witnesses at me, people who had experienced things. And and it, I mean, I didn't need much convincing after a lot of that. I was very open to, uh, getting out there and and kind of exploring that area. So I'm, I'm glad we got to get out there.
0: Yeah. Yeah. The first time I went out there and just saw like the terrain and how similar it was to like port chatham and stuff it just really kind of it, it just kind of stuck with me like man this is this is this is the place like this is i'm you know why wouldn't they be here why not you know if yeah. they exist why wouldn't they be
1: that's that's exactly the conclusion so you know myself and eli and ron as well and those those guys have been all over the place with us too especially eli he's kind of been my my partner in crime, but Ron Reed has backpacked and hiked across North America and he's been with us to Bluff Creek, Mount Hood, Oregon, all this. And, you know, we were all kind of just blown away by this area and we definitely all have a a strong desire to get back there. So, uh, you know, God willing, we'll get out there, but uh, until then, you know, people can enjoy the Alaskan Coastal Sasquatch on Small Town Monsters on YouTube and um, part two will be coming in December of 2022. So definitely look forward to that as well.
0: Yeah. Awesome. So, uh, is there any, is there a website or, uh, a, a base of operations on the internet where people can go to find your, uh, videos and, uh, wares merchandise? Yeah,
1: absolutely. So myself personally, I have a website called Petakov media. That's P E T A K O V com, And that's just the easiest place to find all the stuff. I post links to all of our videos on there. Um, all the other kind of stuff, podcasts, that sort of thing. This this will be up there as well when it's out. Just all that sort of thing, and then obviously smalltownmonsters.com and and the YouTube channel. If you do want to see the video, of course, it's YouTube kind of exclusive. So um, it may be on Tubi at some point, but for now it's YouTube. Uh, go to Smalltown Monsters on YouTube and um, you know look for Alaska stuff. And you can watch our previous Alaska episode as well, which heavily features Rob Roy. Menzies and the Bigfoot Art Gallery and interviews with him and some of those kind of interior Alaska stories. So um, those are just some great places to kind of keep track of all the products and all the sort of content and things that we put out. So,
0: yeah. Awesome. And I know you're going to be at the Boreal Bigfoot Expo on uh, June 10th and 11th, 2023 uh, in Fairbanks. I don't remember the name of the venue, but um, you're going to be there. I'm going to be there. I believe Rob Roy is going to be there. I
1: think Um, so. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So we're going to have, it's going to be like a little reunion. It'll be awesome. That's going to
1: be an awesome lineup. Yeah. That'll be, that'll be so awesome. And then if we can get to the cabin after that, that would be, you know, even, even more amazing, but um, that'll be a lot of fun.
0: Yeah. I think that's kind of the tentative plan at this point. I I don't know. I, I mean, it's, it's a ways out, but uh, I know I'm, I'm going to, right after the holidays here, I'm going to start getting back into shape. I, I did my, I was, I was working out and getting into it for my Washington trip. And then as soon as I got back, I was like, you know, beer and Oreos. And now uh, after the holidays, I'm going to have to start getting at it again.
1: Oh, me too. Yeah. I've just been running around too recently. Like I said, I was in Kentucky and you know, we've been doing a lot of productions and and stuff like that. Just personal things going on. Now I'm finally back. Then Thanksgiving happened. Now all the other holidays are coming up. I'm like, okay, we're going to have to start getting into shape because we're going to be doing some down in the South expeditions in the winter, you know, we have to go to Florida. We've done an annual kind of Florida expedition, because when it's cold up here in the Northeast, everyone goes down to Florida, and we, you know, we're the only guys we'll see in the swamp. Everyone else is at the beach. Um, but so I'll have to start getting back into shape too here uh, once things are a little more settled.
0: Yeah, I've got this big hill. I live at the bottom of a big hill, and I started. I, I started uh, walking up up it and down it. Just I mean, just back and forth, just back and forth, back and forth. Right. And uh, now I'm gonna start. I'm gonna get back into that. I'm gonna start adding weight to it too, so I can. Nice. Yeah, I'm not. I'm. I'm not looking forward to it at all. But I, I need to do it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yep, necessary evil. But you know, it helps when you're out there. When before we went out to the cabin, I had not hiked for a while, so I did like a month and a half of. I would just go up staircases, and then I would actually wear a full loadout with camera gear and weights, and you know, the, I have the same kind of KSG shotgun that uh, that we had out there at the cabin. Uh, everything, you know, everything I knew that I was kind of going to be wearing, and my boots. I had just practiced that for a while, so when we got out there and we were hiking up those hills, it was a lot easier than if I had just gone kind of right into it from not really doing a whole lot. So um, definitely, we'll be planning on doing that before Alaska again.
0: Yeah. Well, that's the thing about the cabin too is where the cabin sets is about the only piece of flat ground. (laughs) There, everything else is is uphill.
1: You want to get anywhere? Yeah, you're going to be hiking through both ways, which is not easy. So yeah, Yeah. both ways definitely good to practice, but but yeah.
0: Yeah. All right, man. Well, thanks for, for coming on here and talking about the Alaskan coastal Sasquatch. Uh, please go to YouTube and check it out. I think you're really going to enjoy it. And especially keep an eye out for part two coming out in December, which, uh, beans will be a part of. And, uh, I think you guys are really gonna. It, it's, it's pretty impressive. Uh, what, what, what they found out there and what, uh, I got to be a part of. So I think you guys are really going to enjoy it. But, uh, Alex, thank you so much for coming on, man. Uh, really appreciate it. And uh, everybody, please go pedicovmedia.com go to YouTube, check out the uh, Alaskan Coastal Sasquatch. Uh, he's doing great things out there in the field. Please support him. Thank
1: you, man. Appreciate you having me on. Awesome.